Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal Worship Service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession this morning is from Proverbs 20, verse 8. A king who sits on the throne of judgment scatters all evil with his eyes. This brings to light a truth which we considered several weeks ago from our text in Ecclesiastes 8, verse 11. Because the sentence against an evil work is not ex executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Men's hearts are prone toward evil. There's an inclination in us to test the fences that God puts around us. If the speed limit is 55, we will drive about five miles over because we know that the sentence against such trespass is not executed speedily. However, if we know there's a speed trap or there's a cop sitting around the corner, we'll be much more likely to drive exactly the speed limit. Parents also see this in their children. If they're told to stay away from the road, they will see just how close they can get before you will enforce it. If you count to three before administering discipline and the children know it, they will wait till you get to 2.75 before obeying. And the problem is that every time that men get away with sin, they raise the stakes a little higher. And the point is that men like to push the limits. The duty of kings, however, is to administer justice. God gives rulers the power of the sword for the purpose of establishing justice and righteousness on the earth. In Romans, Paul tells us that the king is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. This proverb recognizes this truth. A wise ruler knows that righteousness is valuable. And he's willing to do the work to discern goodness from evil and truth from lies. He's willing to invest himself in his kingdom by judging wickedness and defending the innocents and the victims. There's a corollary to this proverb, though. A king's proper place is on the throne of judgment. But there is also a king who does not sit there. There are magistrates who don't hold evil or men of wickedness accountable for their actions. There are parents who figuratively let their children get away with murder. Pray that God will give us good, wise, and diligent magistrates, and pray that he will make us good, wise, and diligent in all areas over which he grants us dominion. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins. Now, if you're willing and able, please submit. Today we come to the end of Ecclesiastes. Solomon has taken us through four arguments. First, he told us that 
Life is vain because it is repetitious. There's no satisfaction in experience or stuff. And we all die. And moreover, there is nothing good in us that we should enjoy the vanity. But next, in the second argument, he told us that God is sovereign over, any, over everything. And he is the only one who gives enjoyment of the vanity. And it is good for us to enjoy the vanity. In the third argument, he told us that things aren't necessarily what they look like. Sometimes wealth is not a blessing. And sometimes suffering is filled with hidden benefits. But God is working in the mist, in the vapor, and he enables men to enjoy what he gives them to do. In the fourth argument, we've been learning how to live wisely in the vapor. We are supposed to cherish life. We're supposed to work hard. And we're supposed to work with skill, wisely. We're supposed to be patient. We're supposed to be generous and kind and giving. And we're supposed to rejoice with a deep joy that is fully cognizant of our coming death. Today, as we shall see, Solomon concludes the fourth argument and the whole book with a short autobiographical message and a nutshell presentation of his whole argument. First, he's come full circle and he ends where he started. And there's great wisdom in this. Chapter 12, verse 8. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Solomon was a wise preacher. He started us out here. And the whole book has been somewhat of an exploration and an explanation of this sentiment. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. Originally, it looks like hopelessness and meaninglessness. But as we found out, that is not wisdom. To say that it's pointless is not wisdom. The wisdom found in this statement is in its humility. Wisdom is embracing the vanity in faith. But Solomon has just told us that we all die. He's just gone through a long explanation of, of old age and the emptiness, the vanity, the vanity of life. You leave it all behind when you're gone. But we must remember God on the journey while there's still time. That's his exhortation as he's talking about old age. Re rejoice in your youth. Rejoice before you die. Rejoice while there is still time. So when Solomon says vanity of vanities, all is vanity, he's telling us that we are nothing. In the grand scheme of things, we're nothing. Solomon is nothing. He is nothing. And all creation is vapor. Vanity. The only meaning to be found in all of it is in God. And more on that in a little while. But for now, notice that Solomon was wise because he understood his own mortality and his own vaporousness. Next, we see that Solomon's wisdom drove him to action. 
He was wise because he set himself to the work that his hand found to do. And that was a work of service. Verse 9. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. Solomon's doing this. He still does this, despite that everything is vanity. So what the communication here is, is that wisdom is not being immobilized by the vanity. Solomon's humility and his observation of his own inadequacy in and of himself does not immobilize him. On the contrary, it mobilizes him. It puts him to work. He says, I am nothing, therefore I must do what God tells me to do because he is something. He still taught the people knowledge. He set himself to discover what the wise thing to do was. He set his heart to discover wisdom. And then, when he found out wisdom, he endeavored to teach it to his people, to instruct his people. He is the preacher. The preacher was wise. Solomon is the preacher. He was the head of a nation. He had much dominion. And he threw himself into the service of those over whom he had charge. He went to work for those over whom God had given him dominion. And he worked. And the work was productive. The vanity vanity of it all was not a reason to throw in the towel. Instead, it meant that finding meaning in the mist is hard work. Finding God in the vapor is difficult work because of our own inadequacies. But in God's grace, and in Solomon's humility, he asked for wisdom from God. And God gave it freely to him. So that Solomon's work was rewarded, and God gave him success in the work to which he set his hand. Verse 10. The preacher sought to find acceptable words. And what was written was upright, words of truth. So Solomon set his heart to the work that God gave him. He set his heart to the work of finding out what wisdom was. And what, was, what he found was truth. What he found was upright. God gave him the eyes to understand and to see and to write down the wisdom that he found. So Solomon was a wise preacher and he knew this because of his Humility. We know this because of his humility, his service, and his work. And the result of his wisdom was wise words, which is exactly what he's about to tell us about in verses 11 and 12. The first thing we learn about wise words is that they are effective tools. Verse 11. The words of the wise are like goats, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails. Words of the wise are like goats. A goat is a tool. It's a a sharp stick. The words of the wise sometimes hurt. A goat is a sharp stick, and it makes the sheep, you poke the sheep with it. It makes them go. And the shepherd uses the stick not to torture the sheep, not to be mean to them, but to protect them. The shepherd uses the stick when he needs to protect the sheep from the dangers that the sheep doesn't recognize. It doesn't perceive. 
So in order to keep it away from a cliff, he may use the stick to guide the sheep away from the cliff. He may use the pointy end to get the sheep out of a pit where it would otherwise die unless the shepherd loved the sheep and poked it. The words of scholars are like well-driven nails. Well-driven nails make a structure strong. They give it staying power. If a, a building doesn't have good nails, or the nails are not well-driven with wisdom, they don't hold anything. We have a church full of engineers. The engineers understand this. You need to engineer whatever you're working on so that it sustains the forces that come against it. Well, the words of, of scholars, the word scholars there is, is actually uh, masters of collections, masters of assemblies. So, so masters of collections, it's talking about those who compile collections of proverbs, those who, who make it their business to understand truth and wisdom. And masters of assemblies, that's what a kohelet, that's what the preacher is. He's the one who is leading the people. He's teaching the people. It's like the shepherd who understands exactly what the sheep need. And so he brings them to green pastures or to still waters. The master of assemblies is the one who God gives the wisdom to guide and to lead. The words of scholars are like well-driven nails. And this is because they give us traction in the vanity. If everything is vanity, then we're all floating along in the wind. If everything's wind, if you're just in the wind and you're floating in the wind, how can you direct wind? You're, you're just part of it. You're just being carried along by the tide. Well, everything is vanity except one thing, and that's God. The words of the wise are well-driven nails. They give us pegs to hold on to in the vanity so that when the world comes along and tries to sweep us away, we can hold on to wisdom. Because God created a world in which wisdom works. The words of the wise are like well-driven nails. So wise words are effective tools. But they're effective tools because they come from God. They come from one source. The words of the wise are like goats, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. God is the shepherd of vanity. God is the one who can see what matters and what does not. God is the one who determines truth, absolute truth. We believe in an absolute truth, in an absolute God, an ultimate reality. And because he's ultimate, because he is God, because he's ultimate reality, wisdom has only one fountainhead. Words of scholars are given by one shepherd, God. If we want traction, if we want wisdom in the midst of vanity, we must look to the one place where it can come from. Here Solomon is telling us that all wisdom comes from God. The next verse gives us the last bit of wisdom in the book of Ecclesiastes before the conclusion. Verse 12, And further, my son, be admonished by these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. 
This verse has been one of my favorites, especially as I was finishing Greyfriars and reading 300 pages a day for a couple months straight. But there's more to it than the obvious. And my own admitted tendency to take it out of context, there's more to this verse than just the fact that it's a lot of work to, to read a lot of books. Much study is wearisome to the flesh. But first, this is an exhortation to be admonished by these. Solomon has just told us that he sought to find acceptable words. And he told us that what was written was upright, words of truth. And also he's told us that these words, these proverbs, this book, Ecclesiastes, is in fact, they are effective tools faithfully discerned by God's grace. So be admonished by these. Be admonished by all the wisdom that he's giving us in Ecclesiastes. It's not that big of a book. It's actually very short. It's full of punch, though. It's full of life. So he's saying, be admonished by these words of wisdom, by these words of the wise, by these words of scholars. Accept the pricks of the goads of these words. Hang on to the pegs of wisdom in this book. And second, given the priority of this wisdom, because Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, excepting Jesus, labored hard to produce it. He knew how much vanity was involved in figuring out what it's all about. And he is warning his son. This is a warning. Be admonished by these. He is warning his son that he will do well to listen to the words of the wise. You're better to learn by reading about life than to learn in the school of hard knocks. He's warning his son that it takes a toll on you to discern wisdom. There is no end to making many books. And much study is wearisome to the flesh. Learn from the... Focus your life on the Bible. Read God's Word. If God is the one place where wisdom comes from, and He gives a special revelation in this book, take time to study it. Do your devotions. Read it with your children. Learn from the wisdom that He has in it. And... At some point, as you're seeking to learn wisdom, and you're studying truth, you have to stop. You just have to, to stop and trust God. Remember, his admonition was to be, be admonished by these words. But what, what has he just told us all through Ecclesiastes? What are the words in Ecclesiastes? His, 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 his command in Ecclesiastes is rejoice and embrace life. Rejoice! So you don't have everything figured out to the nth degree. Take what you know and just rejoice in it. Be thankful. Love God. Love life. Rejoice and embrace life. If you find your endless study to get in the way of your rejoicing, if you find reading books is just driving you insane, then let it go and trust in God. 
And that brings us to the conclusion of the whole matter. Solomon's wise advice, verses 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So Solomon's wise advice is fear God. This is an exhortation to humility. Fear God. If we are all vanity, if it, this is all nothing, all we're left with is awe and fear of an awesome God. A God who's full of awe. He's awful. He's full of awe. He's something that is so far beyond us that we can't even comprehend Him. We don't even come close to comprehending Him. He can destroy us like that. Wisdom begins and ends with the fear of God. And thus Solomon's writings about wisdom begin and end with the fear of God. He starts Proverbs with the fear of God. Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And here he ends Ecclesiastes, the book he wrote at the end of his life. He's giving, it us, he's giving us the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Beginning and end. Solomon's life also begins and ends with the fear of God. Do you remember the story of David and Bathsheba? It's his parents. His older brother died because his parents failed to fear God. He grew up in a home that understood what it was to fear God. He started his rule in humility and fearing God. In fact, at the beginning of his rule, he asked God to give him wisdom because he was only a boy and unworthy to rule such a great people as God's people. He asked God for wisdom. That is humility. And he ends his rule likewise with this book, Ecclesiastes, just after he's given us wisdom about old age and the coming of death, as he nears his own death, he tells us the conclusion of the whole matter, fear God. For men, humility before God is absolutely necessary for life. Pride is death. Humility is life. Anything less than a humble approach to an off, off, off of a God that is full of awe, that is sovereign and in control of everything, anything less than that is pride and is death. Fall down at God's feet and have life. And what does that look like? We're not left without some instruction. So next, he says, fear God and what? And keep his commandments. What does that look like? This is an exhortation to service. Fear God, be in awe of Him, and that will drive you to obedience. If you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. What are my what are what are what are His commandments? What are we supposed to do? The Old Testament gives us a summary of this in the beginning of Deuteronomy chapter six, starting at verse one. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, 
to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. This this verse, chapter 6, verse 4, is called the Shema. Hebrew, the word is Shema Yisrael. Shema, they call it the Shema. And this, this is the summary of the whole law. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Keep his commandment. That is his commandment. Love the Lord with all of your being. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and, you shall, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Fear the Lord. Love Him with your whole being. That is the commandment. Keep His commandment. Love Him. The New Testament also summarizes the law in a number of places. Jesus summarizes it as the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, and with all your spirit. And the second commandment is like it. The interpretation of the great commandment is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul also summarizes it in Romans 13. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. The long and short of it is that it's all vanity, but God is working in the midst. He gives us a road map in his commandments. Wisdom is fear God and keep his commandments. Fall at God's feet. Give your own self up. Hold on to the pegs of wisdom. Hold on to the things that give you traction in the vanity. Obey his commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. There's blessing for it, for you in it. That is life. Love God and love. There's blessing. There's blessing and blessing promised for loving God and loving your neighbor. God gives us a road map for living in the vanity in his commandments. Read your Bible. Apply it. Live it. Love is effective for shepherding wind. So if you want to do well in life under the sun, believe God and love him and your neighbor. God gives us another road map because we need lots of examples. He gave us Jesus Christ. Solomon was a type of Christ. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And we, so he imitated Christ because 
And we are supposed to do the same. In fact, that's our purpose. Our purpose for being here. The whole, what's it all about? The whole, the answer to the whys of life. Why, God? Why? Here's why. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. This is our purpose. The reason we are all here is to fear God and keep his commandments. Because while we live in the vanity, it's not vain. While we work in the mist, it is not nothing. Verse 14, again. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. The reason that this is not vain or meaningless or pointless is because God judges every work, public or private, the secret things. God judges it, good or evil. There's a reward for the work we do, even if we don't see it until we die. This is Solomon's qualification, if you will, for the vanity of it all. Everything is vanity, but God is not. God makes meaning of the myths. So it matters how we live, and it matters how we treat our neighbors. And it matters if we are grateful and humble. Or it matters if we're proud and greedy. And the New Testament tells us that it even matters how we think about it all. And what our hearts feel and do. It matters. God judges the things that nobody else even sees. And because he judges, because we all answer to him, it all matters. Because God matters. Solomon's short and pithy conclusion is a call to imitate him, Solomon. Remember, the preacher was humble. He served others. And he did good work for the reward of faith. But in the light of further revelation, the gospel, Solomon's conclusion is a call to imitate Jesus Christ. In doing so, we fulfill our purpose. And that's the answer, that's the secret to joy. That is the nugget. If you want joy, if you want happiness on this earth, in this world, be who God wants you to be. Fulfill the purpose for which he puts you here. And that's available to each and every one of us. There's joy for everyone. If we will simply humble ourselves and do what he asks us to do. When we fulfill our purpose, there's no greater joy than to know God and love him. To be at peace with him and to know his blessing. To know that there is nothing that can take his love away from you. Death can't destroy you. If you die, you go to eternal life. You already have eternal life. You're just sleeping. You go to sleep. God gives of himself freely. And as we've seen through our study of Ecclesiastes, his purpose for us is to have joy. And receive his good gifts with gratitude. God doesn't want us to be sourpusses. He doesn't want us to be grumpy. 
He wants us to have joy. And to every man... Well, I'll get there in a second. The conclusion of the book is to fear God and keep His commandments. For this is man's all. But Ecclesiastes 5, verses 18 to 20 is the essence of Solomon's argument in the whole book. This is the, the conclusion of the second argument. We have four arguments. First argument, second argument, third argument, fourth argument. He starts and ends with vanity. Right? Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, says the preacher. But right at the middle of the book, the essence of what it means to fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. This is, his, this is what Solomon has seen. This is what we must see. Here's what I've seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life, which God gives him, for it is his heritage. As for every man to whom God gives riches and wealth and power to eat of it, to receive his heritage, and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he will not dwell unduly on the days of his life. Because God keeps him busy with the joy of his heart. This is what fearing God and keeping his commandments looks like. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. to fear God and to keep His commandments. But that leaves us with a very real problem nonetheless. We are wicked, and our hearts are prone toward evil. All of us are sinners. We sin in different ways, but each of us in our own way. We like to push the limits of God's patience and His grace. Solomon told us what wisdom is. But we are incapable of accomplishing it on our own. So Jesus did it for us. Praise God for the good news of the gospel. God will judge every work, even the secret ones. And God will discern between good and evil. But we are no longer under his condemnation. What it boils down to is a simple acceptance of God's unmerited forgiveness. Remember Jesus and his sacrifice for you as you partake of the bread and the wine. Remember that he died as, so that we might live. Remember that his grace is for you. That you are truly cleansed from your sin and washed in his blood. And remember that he loved us so that we might love him and each other. This table is for all baptized believers, members of the church. When we eat and drink, we do acknowledge our sinfulness. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website. ChristKirkMI.com. That's C H R I S T K I R K 
M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.